All right, James chapter 1. The emphasis in the, the text for today, this particular section, is on a particular danger of self-deception. We can easily be self-deceived and not see stuff. For example, look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So God knows we can deceive ourselves. We can be like this picture here. I love this picture. This, this is an obvious self-deception, isn't it? Uh, don't, don't you just love the beautiful little cat there? Many of us can be like this cat. We can look in a mirror and we can see something that is not reality. So the cat's looking in the mirror and the cat thinks he's a lion. He's this big, powerful lion, but no, he's just a little teeny kitty cat. So he is self-deceived. And James is showing us we have the same problem. We have the same danger. And you might find this photo to be funny. But when the, the this photo becomes your reality, it is no longer funny. <laughs> it is not funny when true believers fool themselves into thinking they're something they're not. They think they're spiritual when they're not actually spiritual. And, and James is showing us what true spiritual maturity looks like. <laughs> it is a mark, by the way, of maturity when a person faces himself honestly and when you actually know yourself and then you admit your very need. It is the immature person, though, who pretends that they are rich and have need of nothing. So how do we live in reality? How can we avoid self-deception? Well, spiritual reality results from the proper relationship to God's Word. God has given us the Bible. He's given us holy scriptures that it's supposed to be like an accurate mirror, not like the cat there in that photo. And so if we're rightly related then to biblical truth, you're going to be honest as opposed to being dishonest. You won't be hypocritical. And so in the verses we'll look at here today, James actually stated that we have three responsibilities. Your three main points, for those of you who are taking notes. The three main points are the three responsibilities that God has given to us toward His Word. And, and if you actually fulfill those responsibilities, then guess what? You're, you're going to have an honest walk with God and with all the people around you. Now, ultimately, the key uh, both to responding to our trials and then resisting the temptation is to be found in how do we react to God's Word? How do we react to God's Word? We have to accept God's Word. And then we have to act on God's Word, and we need to abide by God's Word. So let's look at the words of the living God from James 1, verse 19. James 1, verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. For if anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now here's the main idea from this text today, that Christians should respond to God's Word with obedient listening, careful speech, and a humble demeanor. We'll see how that works out in the text. But notice your first responsibility. From God, He's given us several commands in this text, so your first responsibility, friends, is we must receive the Word of God. And when I say the Word of God, I'm talking about your Bible. right? I'm talking about Holy Scripture. See, the Word of God cannot work in our lives unless we receive it in the right way. Now, there's many people who can attend a church service. Many people will do that together today, and, and, and they, they continually, faithfully go to church, but it seems like they're not growing. That's a problem. Now, some people would say, well, why is that the case? Well, often uh, preachers get blamed. <laughs> and to be quite honest, sometimes preachers are part of the problem here. But, but is it the fault of the preacher? Always. Well, maybe, sometimes. Perhaps it might be the fault of the hearer as well. We also need to examine ourselves. Are are we part of the problem? If the seed of the Word is to be implanted in our hearts, then we must obey the instructions James gives us here. How do we receive the Word? Look, Look at the first thing James tells you to do here. Receive the Word, but how do we do this? He says in verse 19, be a careful listener. In order to receive the Word of God, you must be a careful listener. Verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. Why? Why be a careful listener? Well, you're going to learn better when you're listening than when you're speaking. You, You can't receive instruction when you're constantly talking. You ever met that kind of a person? Try to give them instruction, and the mouth's going just jibber-jabber all the time, right? You can't give those kind of people instructions. They're not really listening. So here are five things that's going to help make us better hearers. God's telling us we need to be careful listeners. So here's some just some practical things to think about. It's not on your notes, by the way. Number one, you must work at truly listening to others. It's going to take work. It's hard because listening, did you, did you know listening actually requires an intense interest in other people? It requires you to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in, as, you, as you're loving your neighbor as yourself, that, that means you're going you to be having some eye contact. You're going to be very sensitive uh, in watching other people's body language. By the way, you're communicating right now. And I'm watching your body language, because your body language communicates, right? And that's really important, 
to be a good listener is you got to get the whole package because body language communicates. And number two, you, you, we must limit our exposure exposure to the visual media. To visual media. See, if, if you're not in control of your time, media is quite happy to do that for you. <laughs> and if they do, guess what? Uh, your ability to hear is going to be greatly impaired. Boy, I could preach a whole message on that, but I'll move on. Number three, you, you, re, you have to read the Bible. I mean, that's obvious, but as you read the Bible, may I just highlight something? It, it, it is more than just advancing your bookmark to the next chapter or the next page. Too, too many people, you know, it's, it's just another job for them to do. You know, I'm, I've got to read through my Bible, so let's read this page and then move my bookmark. Or, you know, I, I got this Bible reading plan, so I've got to tick, tick the box for today. That's not good enough. I, 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 love, I love people who can do stuff, and, and uh, even though they don't want to, but we need more than that. And James will, will highlight this for us. So as you read your Bible, just, just take note. Uh, listening includes reading here. Number four, we must slow down and take time to listen. Too many people are just too busy. They don't, they don't want to be slow, as it's talking about here. They, they like being busy. They, too many people find their identity in that. And if you're that kind of a person and that's your temptation, you're going to have issues with receiving the word. Because you've got to slow down. You've got to sit sometimes and be quiet. Number five, we must prepare for corporate worship. See, part of receiving the Word of God is we come together in corporate worship. And corporate worship is, is a thing where sometimes you actually need to prepare on Saturday. See, if you're one of these people who is just busy, 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 you know, running all over the place, you know, you're the headless chicken kind of a person, maybe you need to start preparing the day before so that your heart, your ears are ready to hear. Just some practical advice. See, uh, sometimes getting ready is can be a difficult thing to quiet our noisy souls. But James gives a second duty here. So in order to receive the word, not only should you be a careful listener, but he says there in verse 19 to be slow to speak. These kind of go together, but notice slow to speak. Why is that? Well, because big, fast talkers are rarely good listeners. I hope you're not one of those. Some people are really good talkers, not good listeners. You don't want to be one of those. And by the way, let me just say here that James is not barring a friendly, fast-paced conversation. Some of you are really good at that. Really good at fast-paced conversation. James is saying... You can't do that. Neither is he suggesting that Christians are to be inarticulate. It doesn't mean you have to be slow-talking. You don't need to be an ent. That's, that's a Lord of the Rings reference, by the way. Okay, that is not what James in, in the Holy Spirit is telling you here. He is telling you to think before you speak, certainly. Proverbs ten nineteen tells you, when words are many... Words are many. Sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. So slow to speak there. 
when, when James says that, it includes the idea of being careful not to be just thinking of your own thoughts. Don't just be thinking, what am I going to say next? And just kind of block out other people. And, and, and sometimes this even happens when you're listening to a sermon. You ever find, you ever find your thoughts drifting off? The preacher speaking, you're looking at them, but no comprende. There's nothing going into the brain because you're thinking about what you're going to do this afternoon, right? Right? That is, that is slow to speak is, or, or you're having a conversation with a friend during morning tea, right? You're just thinking, what do I want to say? You're not actually listening to the person. <laughs> That's a danger we, we can have. And so you can't really hear God's word when your mind is on your own thoughts. You've got to get them off yourself. Get them on to, what is God actually saying? You need to be silent inside as well as on the outside. So it's not just an outside thing. Do you understand that? So you, can, you can have a lot of noise going on inside your head, and, and, and you can't actually receive the word because of all the noise up here. You've got you to stop that in order to receive the word. The third duty that uh, the Holy Spirit mentions there in verse 19, is be slow to anger. Does that seem like, not? what does that have to do with receiving the word? I, I mean, the first time I read that, I was like, hmm, I'm not sure I understand this connection. Receiving the word and being slow to anger. What, how does that go together? Well, I mean, that's that's the exhortation, slow to anger. See, sometimes when we receive the word, sometimes our evil, deceitful hearts don't like it. And so, it's you know, we kind of like put up a blockade. Ooh, uh, and sometimes we get angry at the preacher. We shoot the messenger. Uh, sometimes we get angry when we're reading our Bibles and we're, we're trying to receive the Word and we just read something and, ooh, that hurts. I don't like that. We try to find excuses why we don't need to obey that, Right? You're not receiving the word if you're getting angry at the Bible or the preacher. Or sometimes you just get angry at God. We don't agree with God. And so we tend to rationalize our anger. Some people even try to give it a, a positive spin. Well, my anger is actually frankness. <laughs> or sometimes we might attribute it to our upbringing. Well, you know, I'm this ethnicity, and so it's okay for me to be this way, right? None of you would do that. Uh, sometimes we say, well, it's just I'm under some pressure right now, so I, I need to relieve the pressure. Well, friends, God says anger like that is actually sin. Proverbs 29 mentions that a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. <laughs> it may remind you, the fruit of the Spirit includes self-control. So you say, well, okay, those are some, some great things that the Holy Spirit's given us there so we can receive the Word, but why should I be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger? Well, look, the answer's found for you in the next verse. You want a good reason, good motivation for doing those duties? Notice what verse 20 says. It gives you the reason, because it says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't. It does not produce the righteousness of God. So if you don't do those, you'll live an ugly, sinful, 
ungodly, immature life. The fourth duty, by the way, is mentioned in verse 21. How do we receive the word? Well, you need to prepare the soil of your heart. Prepare your heart. Verse 21 tells us, how do we do that? Well, well, God tells us two ways to do this. How to prepare the soil of your heart. Two ways. Number one, he says to remove the sins that are actually hindering the reception of the Word of God. Because verse 21 mentions to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Wow. Let me, let me uh, use an illustration. Hopefully you know what a vacuum cleaner is. We live in a first world. We should know what this is. So as you think of a vacuum cleaner here, here's a diagram of one. What do you do if your vacuum cleaner is not receiving the rubbish? Right? Any of you ever use your vacuum cleaner and you got that spot on the floor and you go over it once expecting your vacuum cleaner to suck it up and nothing happens? So what do we do? We go over it again, right? We, we, we do the same thing expecting a different outcome. By the way, that's the definition of insanity. Just so you know. And we just keep going over it. How long do you do that before you realize you need to change something? Well, if it's not sucking up the rubbish or the dirt or whatever it might be, I mean, you need to change something. You might need to change the filter. You might need to uh, change the bag, right? Who knows? Uh, but, but there's probably something blocking there that needs to be removed. And here's the illustration, friends. Sometimes we have blockages in our life that's not allowing the, the word to be received. And the same process needs to take place in our life if God's word is not being received, if it's not being accepted. There's probably a blockage. What do you do? Well, you pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal that sin in your life. It's probably sin that's blocking the, the, so the Word is not being received. You need God to open your eyes. And when He does, you confess your sin to God. You, you ask Him to forgive you. And certainly pray for grace in, in, that, in your life to forsake the sin and to, to, to do what God wants you to do so the Word can be received. But in order to prepare the heart, you, there's, there's blockages that need to be removed. You, you, as verse 21 says, you, you put away these things. And remember, the principle of replacement is when you put off something, you must always put on something in its place. Notice what you do. You must welcome the Word. See, so you remove the sins, and then you, number two, welcome the Word. The idea here in verse 21 is you accept the Bible... You permit the Bible to carry out its sanctifying work in your life. Because verse 21 says, after you put away these things, it says, then you receive with meekness the implanted word. You see how that works? Always a put off and a put on. And so the, the idea of welcoming the word or accepting the Bible and permitting it to do its work is, is, a, is illustrated here on the screen for you. Think of it like this, kind of like a branch. You ever seen a, a tree that's, that's had different branches grafted onto it? Of course, Jesus uses this illustration in John 15. Uh, 
but they need to be bound together as one. Somebody who knows how to do this can, can take something from a totally different tree and bind them together, so eventually they become one. And then, then obviously, then the nutrients are able to flow uh, between each other for good health and growth. In fact, I bought a tree, uh, oh, it's a couple months ago now, that's got like three different kinds of fruit on it. It's, it's strange. But it's, on, it's got the same roots. How cool is that? But we have to remove those sins and then welcome the Word so your heart is prepared. But James goes on to tell us, not only is our first responsibility to receive the Word, but then there's a purpose for receiving the Word. And James says, number two, we must practice the Word. See, you, you live out the Word, in other words. It's not enough to just hear we must be doers of the word, James says, right? Verse 22, but be doers of the word. And many people have this mistaken idea that, hey, I can hear a good sermon and, and it's going to make me grow and I'm going to get God's blessing. In fact, it, notice what James says, it's the doing that brings the blessing, not the hearing. Right? If you just hear God's Word and do nothing with it, that's not healthy. Too many Christians, you know, they, they can even take notes, mark their Bibles, they read their Bibles, and they got heaps of stuff underlined and highlighted and, and all that sort of stuff, but it seems like the Bible never marks them. That's a problem. It's a serious problem. So, the, the Word must be practiced. And so James tells us, first of all here, what is the wrong approach? Because he says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. The danger is we can deceive ourselves. And so he goes on to give us the wrong approach, starting there in verse 23. Notice, notice verse 23. Here's the wrong approach. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently in a, uh, at his natural face in a mirror, for he looked at himself, and then he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. You ever done that? You ever looked in the mirror? You see your nose, your eyes, your whiskers. You see the, the wrinkles and the blemishes. You see everything. And, and the longer you look, the more you tend to see. At least that's my experience. Why is that? Why is that? Well, the mirror isn't lying. You might like to think, and, and sometimes you might look in the mirror, you get up in the morning, you're lying! No, it's not. It's just reflecting what's there. The mirror can't lie, because the and in this case, the mirror is the Bible. But sometimes people ignore the truth. Ignore the truth. It reminds them of a story. This, this will illustrate this, this is the wrong approach. <laughs> okay, Don't ever do this with the Bible. But I heard about a story that came from the 1800s. It was about a missionary. He was out in the, in the bush somewhere. It wasn't New Zealand. But uh, what he had done is he had hung this small mirror on a tree, and he had done that because he needed to shave. He didn't want to cut himself. And then one day along came the local witch doctor who had just uh, happened to be coming by, and he was really curious about the, the, the missionary who was standing there 
using this little mirror as he's shaving. He thought that was a strange little glass. And so um, the, uh, the witch doctor, after seeing that strange little glass, jumped back after seeing herself in the mirror for the very first time in her life. Imagine that. You've never seen a mirror. You're, you're an adult, never seen a mirror all your life, and then you see yourself. That would be kind of freaky. Well, it was freaky to her. So immediately she began to bargain with the missionary for the mirror. He didn't want to give up his mirror, but he realized that the witch doctor wasn't going to give up. So he let her have the mirror. You say, well, what did she do with the mirror? Good question. She actually threw it on the ground and broke it into pieces, and she shouted, There! It won't be making ugly faces at me anymore! (laughs) The moral of the story is, we too have ways to deal with a mirror's truth, and our false ways don't work. (laughs) See, your face is still there, right? What you saw in the mirror is still there, just because you throw the mirror on the ground and break it doesn't change anything. So God's saying that's the wrong approach as you come to his word. Even though that might be your temptation. You say, well, what's the right approach? Glad you asked. Look at verse 25. But, notice the contrast. Don't do verses 23 and 24, but do verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Notice again, you're blessed in your doing, not in the reading. So the right approach is you use the Bible kind of like you should be using your mirror. So let's just think uh, through some ministries of the Word of God. The mirror of the Word of God. What is it doing, or what should it be doing? Number one, use the Bible to examine yourself. Use the Bible to examine yourself just like you do with a mirror. Now, here's some mistakes that you can make. Here's mistakes that I have made. Okay? Number one, you just merely glance at yourself. You know, a quick glance. <clears throat> and, and I've done this sort of thing to my own danger and regret. Quick glances, you can easily miss stuff. And Maybe your spouse might point it out to you later, or a dear friend might point out something to you later. Uh, did you know you have this on your face? Or did you know, right? You know what I mean? Quick glances can be dangerous. Number two, an- another mistake is we forget what we see. See, God's Word highlights, shows us stuff, but you, you, you want to remember that. And then number three, failing to, then to obey what the Word actually tells you to do. Those are some dangerous mistakes. So doer of the Word is active, by the way. Be a doer of the word. That is active. It means this is something you must do. Theology has to lead to practice. Faith must lead to deeds. <laughs> the creed must then connect to your conduct. Just various ways of saying all the same thing. So the mirror more metaphor here suggests two things for you, friends. Number one, the scripture is like a mirror to your soul. It helps you to see inside you, if you will. It shows the moral and the spiritual flaws that, that, that then you're able to, to fix, hopefully. Number two is that Scripture discloses our sin 
it shows our need for repentance. It shows us the promise of grace. It gives us hope. So why should we gaze into the Bible and obey it? You say, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to be like the witch doctor here and, you know, take the Bible and throw it on the ground and smash it, rip it up, burn it, right? You might be tempted to do this. So why should we gaze into the Bible and obey it? Well, the Bible actually deserves our attention for two reasons. I just want to highlight what it says here in the Holy Scripture. It says, number one, that, that God's law is perfect. Number one, it says His law is perfect, verse 25. The one who looks into the perfect law. Why? Well, because it's reflecting God's perfect character. The, the, the Bible is reflecting God's character to you. I mean, for example, even just, just think about the Ten Commandments, for example. Did you know all the Ten Commandments are reflecting something about God's very character and nature? For example, why does God command us to not murder? Do not murder. Why, why would He say that? Because God is the giver of life. He, he's the only one who has the right to take life. He says, do not commit adultery because God is faithful. God says, do not steal because He is generous and He's the owner of everything in this universe. He says, do not bear false witness. Why? Because God is truth. Right? Just as we could keep going and going and going here. So God's law is perfect. It, it is worthy of your notice. It, you should look at it for that very reason. But notice number two, that God's law gives you liberty. It gives you liberty. So notice verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law that perfect law is, notice the law of liberty. It's worthy of your attention. Number two, use the Bible to restore yourself. Use the Bible to restore yourself. See, not only does the Bible reveal your sin, not only does it highlight the problem you have, but then it helps to cleanse us as well. It, it gives us solutions, praise God. See, it gives us the promise of cleansing even. Great verse. If you don't have this memorized yet, please do. 1 John 1 9. See, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, notice it's based on God's faithfulness and that God is just. Based on his own character, he's willing and able to forgive and deal with your sin. So, it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from our guilt. But it's the water of the Word that helps to then to wash away all that rubbish, so to speak. And There's a third ministry of the Word mentioned here. We need to use the Bible to transform ourselves. The Bible can transform you. It's interesting, the word changed. The word change is the Greek word from which we get the English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, you, you know, it's that process whereby an ugly caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly. It's a change. A great change on the outside is something that actually comes from the inside. And so God can transform. God can change. When we receive the Word, when we practice the Word, God can change us. But there's a third responsibility. See, not only should you 
receive the Word of God. God commands you to do that. He commands you to practice His Word. But then you have to do something with that. See, God wants you to share the Word. That's the third responsibility. Share the Word. See, notice here, verses 26 and 27, talks about true religion. True religion. Religion is not a bad word. It has been hijacked. What does true religion look like? Well, it it shares the Word. And we see, first of all, that true religion practices God's Word by controlling the tongue. Isn't that interesting? It starts there. Because verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious, and you just let the tongue go untamed, uncontrolled, don't bridle your tongue, God says you've deceived your heart. This person's religion is worthless. Ooh, ouch. See, James is comparing your tongue here to a powerful horse, which is going to just take off on some wild ride if you're not in control of the reins, so to speak. I've had that happen to me, and that's why I don't really ever want to get on a horse again. It's, it was one of the scariest things that's ever happened in my life. 500 kilos of just restless bone and muscle, and I'm hanging on for dear life, just hoping not to fall off. It's scary. It's scary spiritually. (laughs) You don't want to be in that situation. See, true religion practices God's Word by controlling your tongue. And that's why the Bible talks a lot about the sin of our tongue. We, We can sin through angry talk. Angry talk. It's already mentioned, be slow to anger there. Be slow to speak. You combine those two and it's deadly. See, it's not actually true. I remember people saying when I was a little twerp, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And you know why people said that? Because the names did hurt them. The horrible things that little kids do to each other and say to each other and in abusing each other actually hurts. God says, avoid the angry talk. Avoid gossip. Which is just conversation about another person's details and what's going on in their life. And it doesn't really matter whether it's just a rumor or fact. God says that's sin. Deception is a problem that we can also have in trying to control our tongue. Slander is another way where, where it's, it's just the act of saying something false or malicious that damages someone else's reputation. My friend, listen to what God says in Ephesians 4.29. He says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words coming out of our mouths, off our tongue, should be giving grace to someone who hears. Not corrupting talk. That's a command. No corrupting talk, but only such as is good for building up that person. And think about the occasion. Is it appropriate for the occasion, he says may give grace to those who hear. So true religion practices God's Word by controlling the tongue. 
But notice the last thing he mentions is that true religion practices God's word by caring for the needy. See, if you've really received the word of God and you're you're wanting then to share that with others, it's, it's going to have an effect on other people. You're going to have an effect and an influence on other people. Now, generally, the neediest people in the early church, in James' day here, were the orphans and the widows. And that's why he mentions them in verse 27, when he says that religion is, that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. They were very needy. You see, you need to understand something about the time. There was, you couldn't buy life insurance back then. There was no such thing as socialism. Right? We have socialism in our country where, where you expect Big Brother to look after you. you. Expect Big Brother to look after your loved ones or somebody else. Right? There should be some sort of a support program where my tax dollars go to pay for them. See, back then, jobs were scarce. No life insurance, no welfare programs. And so the principle here is applying to anyone who is in need. And the idea is here, number one, is help those who suffer poverty. See, the widows were in poverty. Right? Their, if their husband died, there's no life insurance, no government support, no dole, no socialism to help out there. So the widows were in great and dire need. And so were the orphans. And the idea is there is helping those who are suffering exploitation. That's a hard word to say. Orphans would often be exploited. Be turned into just child labor or other things that were terrible. Isn't God saying help those who are suffering in need? That's how you can live out your true religion. But there's a third thing God says here, is that true religion practices God's Word by then separating from the world. Because it says at the very end of chapter 1, to keep oneself unstained from the world. But Notice God is not telling you to remove yourself from the world, but as you live in this world... Don't allow the world to stain you, to mark you. Don't allow the world to conform you into its image. You say, well, what's the world? Well, understand this, friends. The world is the system you live in. It's an evil system of thought and values and philosophies that is dominated by Satan. It is dominated by Satan. The government, the media, you know, the internet, you, you name it. The majority of the people in our culture and in this world are dominated by Satan. And so James, when he says world there, he is talking about our society without God. By the way, you do not stay pured by abandoning society. Nowhere does the Bible say abandon society. It's, it's a sinking ship. Jump on the life raft now. There's no hope. You don't gain purity by giving away your smartphone, by giving away your radio, trashing your TV, and, uh, <clears throat> and then cancel your Internet subscription. Right? 
you can do all those things and still be influenced by the world. Jesus said, be in the world, just don't be of the world. And, and as a friend once told me, wise friend many years ago, you're like a ship in the water. And that's okay until the water gets in the ship and then it sinks. See, you can be a ship in the water, just don't let the water inside you. Too many people let the water inside them and then they're, then they're stained by the world and they sink. See, physically you can dwell in the world, but morally you have to keep your distance. Don't think like the world. Don't think like Satan. Don't allow Satan to press you into his mold. So the world wants to spot you. It wants to defile you. It wants to corrupt you. How does that happen? Well, here's how it happens, friends. I'll give you the steps. Because in James 4.4, it tells you the the first step is notice what James 4 4 says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's where it starts. We we become friends with the world. It's just a strong emotion on our part where we, we just don't seem to see the danger. We want to cuddle up with it. Treat it like a friend. Stroke it. Say nice things to it. And then, and then all of a sudden, that leads to a love for the world, which 1 John 2 says, do not love the world. And then third, you become conformed to what you love. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the world. And so then you start thinking and acting and talking like this system we live in that's dominated by Satan. The end result is not a good one, by the way. You end up the opposite of what James is telling us to be. There is no spiritual growth. There is no maturity. And you have no influence. Your light and your salt is gone. And as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, it's only good to be thrown out and to be trampled by men. And there's a good illustration of this. How how does this look like? Well, lots to me, is the classic example of this. See, lots, the Bible tells us, read the book of Genesis. Uh, The Bible says in Genesis that Lot actually pitched his tent toward Sodom. That's where it started. So he's up there with his uncle Abraham, you know, and they're having a hard time, and so Abraham gives him first choice. And Lot, the Bible says, looks out over the well-watered plains of Jordan. Oh, that looks really nice. Uncle Abraham, I'm choosing that. Notice he's not choosing to live in Sodom at this point. I'm just going to pitch my tent towards Sodom. I can see it. It's a long way away, but I'm not there. And then the Bible says, then he moves into Sodom. Well, guess what? When you keep looking at it and you keep thinking about it, you're going to want to be there, most likely. So he moves into Sodom. And then the Bible says Sodom moved into Lot. And the Bible even says Sodom was a judge of the city. He was at the city gates. And eventually he lost his testimony and he even lost his own family. Those of you who know the story, when God sends his angels to rescue Lot, as they were fleeing the city and God 
rains down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot lost everything, including his wife. Notice she's way on the far right there. She looked back because that's where her heart was. See, Sodom had moved into her, and so she died. So when judgment fell on Sodom, Lot lost everything. So friends, may I remind you that it was Abraham, the separated believer, who had a greater ministry to the people, a longer-lasting ministry. We don't usually talk a whole lot about Lot. And you need to understand, friends, there's a big lie, even among evangelicals, that says, hey, you know, I need to be like the people in order to win them to Christ. You don't win people to Christ by being like them. They're going to say, what do I need to change? I don't see any hope and light and salt in you. But Jesus was one who was unspotted by the world. Yet the Bible says Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners, but He was not stained by those sinners. And by the way, do you know the best way to minister to people? The best way to minister to people's needs, according to James, is to be pure from the corruption of the world. In other words, we're talking about your own words and your whole life, in fact. Don't be just like them. Be different. Be like Christ. And that's what it means to be holy, by the way. Be distinct. Be unique. Be separate just as He is holy. And so James is telling us here, for a, what does true spirituality look like? What, what does a truly mature person look like? So we've seen the, the, the truly mature Christian is one who receives the Word, you practice the Word, and you share the Word. So here's the proposition, friends. Kind of combine those three areas together and here's what I've come up with for you to think about. That God wants His children to conform to His Word. So you want to know what to do with this text? Allow God, by His grace, to conform you to His Word, conforming you into the image of Christ and not into the image of the world. May God enable that reality to happen in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for these clear instructions here. Impress them on our hearts. Make them a reality. May we not be fooled by our own deceitful, evil, wicked hearts that want us to believe that we are somehow rich and in need of nothing, that we are mature. But may we see ourselves as the mirror is revealing ourselves to be. And when we look in the mirror of the Word, May we see you, your truth, your commands, your ways, your own nature and character. And may we be transformed. May we be changed. Change us into your image, we pray. May we love that image. May we receive your word with meekness, with humility, gentleness in our hearts, with the right spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.